I'm Ed Adams, and you're listening to the AFCA Podcast. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the AFCA Podcast. And today, we dive into the film, The Hate You Give. I'll explain more after the break. The AFCA Podcast is sponsored by Morgan Stanley Global Sports and Entertainment. Trying to make some sense out of it. It's thug life. The hate you give little infants. F's everybody. I know what it stands for. What do you think it means? I think it's about us. Us who? Black people. Poor people, everybody at the bottom. Are you on it? Pac was trying to school us on how the system's designed against us. Why else you think so many people in our neighborhood deal? They need the money. Yeah. And they no real jobs around here. So they fall into the trap. The conversation you just heard is taken from the film, The Hate You Give. In that clip, Star, played by Amanda Steinberg, is discussing her anger and frustration with her father, Mav, who's played by Russell Hornsby. The movie, based off the best-selling novel of the same name by Angie Thomas, follows Star after her friend Khalil is killed by a police officer during a traffic stop. What follows next is a glimpse into the pain and struggles of people affected by gun violence. Told through Star's perspective, we see how this incident affects her, her family, her friends, her community, and the justice system. This film is intense, and the person responsible for bringing all that energy to the screen is director George Tillman Jr. George, who most people know from the movie Soul Food, both the film and television series, and also the barbershop movies, has been telling stories about the black community for over a decade. As a director, he has helmed movies like Notorious, The Inevitable Defeat of Mr. and Pete, but he's also directed television shows like Power, Luke Cage, and the award-winning series This Is Us. I had a chance to talk to George via Skype about the types of projects he's attracted to, his process, and the messages in The Hate You Give. So, George Tillman Jr., welcome to the AFCA podcast. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Before we get into the hate you give, one of the things I wanted to talk about is you as a producer and, 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 and what makes you tick. And so last year, you were one of the producers of Mudbound on Netflix, which, in my opinion, was one of the most underrated films of 2017. Um, when you see a film like Mudbound, what are you looking for or what motivates you to get behind a project? Well, I mean, that was, uh, that was a, a project that Virgil Williams, the writer, actually brought it to um, State Street Pictures uh, for me to direct and us to develop. And um, at the time, I just was just overwhelmed with this family perspective. I always felt like we told stories about family. Um, so I was able to link Virgil up with these investors who was actually 
was going to invest in this film that I did called Inevitable Defeat of Mr. and Pete. Um, eventually they did and the script was developed. So again, the family perspective, the family sticking together, a strong point of view. I just felt like we didn't have a lot of stories that dealt with that. Um, and um, at the time I was developing it to direct the film. Um, and something inside was telling me uh, with the schedule and something was telling me, I don't know if this was right for me as a director right now. Um, and then we became executive producers on that. And that's when Dee Reed came on and she did an amazing job. Again, it was this ideal of having great stories, uh, family, strong families, and how a modern audience could be able to take away from that. Okay. Um, to piggyback on that, actually, you, you know, for people to know, you've worked on Soul Food, Barbershop, Franchise, uh, Roll Bounce, and, and now The Hate You Give. But, you know, you mentioned family, but a lot of those films deal with tradition. And I was curious, yeah. how important is tradition to you? Yeah, tradition is very important. I mean, I grew up in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Uh, I had three large, strong families and, um, you know, I had three, you know, gr- I had strong grandmothers, um, soul food dinners, church. Um, we had um, grocery stores, barbershops. You know, at the time when you raised kids, it was always a village. Um, it was always me. Um, and that's what I had. I had a strong father in the household, strong mom. Um, so all those things, education, all those things were really taught to me very early on. And you can kind of see that, you know, going through all the work, even a film like Notorious that I directed about Krista, the biopic of Christopher Wallace is whatever, you know, what her family brought from her coming from another country and, and, and coming to um, America. And again, it's how do you use what you have to raise and to become a village, to become a family. And I think that's what I was able to to be able to take away from my experience growing up in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, um, and then later living in Chicago, Illinois. Okay, okay. So, all right, now that I've got that out of the way, let's get into the hate you give, because <laughs> that movie, I just have to tell you, is, is phenomenal in the messaging, and it's so much, it's so dense, and so much to unpack, and I'm hoping we can do that together. But when you first got the script for The Hate You Give, like, what was your first impression? Were you like, oh, here we go, or were you more like, it's about time? No, I mean, I got the book early. It wasn't a script. Uh, we developed the script <clears throat> um, after maybe about maybe a couple months after I pitched it to the studio. But the book was amazing <clears throat> because I just felt like I was really gravitating towards this young 16-year-old girl uh, who's living two identities, you know, who was living and navigating in two different worlds. And I was able to identify that a little bit coming from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, moving from a public school into a pub, to another public school that was 80, 80% predominantly white. So that's that ideal of code switching I thought was interesting. But then I thought, the, again, there goes the family dynamic. Um, Maverick Carter, Lisa Carter, this family, this, this, this husband and wife who have made mistakes in the past and just trying to do the best they can and trying to break the cycle. I just felt like all those things felt very universal. And, but then you have this relevance of you know, police brutality, police shootings. Uh, which is very relevant today, but it went started for me was just the experience of identity and knowing who you are, 
And those are the things I was able to connect with. Okay. Um, one of the first scenes in the movie we, you know, that we see is the talk. You know, for, for people of color, this is kind of an everyday existence. This is something that's a rites of passage almost for us um, that, you know, you like, you know, brilliantly kind of explained to a general audience what this is. Um, but I was curious, you know, since you developed the script and, and when you're pulling this cast together and you're sitting at the helm of this project, how did you prepare the cast for what they were about to take on? Yeah, I mean, um, I felt like the most important thing is is really being unified as a cast and as the writers and as the crew and, and everybody together. You know, the ideal of, of, you know, a lot of people did not know, you know, outside of the culture what the talk was. You know, that was something that was very, very, uh, that came to me at a very young age to various family members. And, um and very early on in the process was just getting everybody involved, being a collaboration, everybody bringing their own experience, everybody bringing their own thoughts um, to the material, to the collaboration. Um, and you really find out, uh, especially among the African-American cast and crews, that we all had very similar experiences. That's uh, a thing that we felt um, that was very important to be honest and um, create an honesty and truth behind the material. Um, so for us, that became very important because the book was number one for so long. The book was number one for like 80 weeks. So how can we be true? How can we under the material? But then how can we bring the honesty from our own craft? And that's how we bonded together through rehearsals and uh, spending a lot of time together and really bringing the chemistry across and those was the things that started um, just out of the love of the book, but outside of the culture, how can we make a change? How can we make a difference? Um, how can we tell our, our stories? Mm, okay. Um, so because of that, I mean, there are some really tense and I, I will say very emotionally uncomfortable scenes throughout the movie. Right. And as necessary yep. as they are, they do trigger like something I, I, I was kind of, for me, I was on the, the fence about, is this empathy or is this PTSD? And I kind of wanted to know what your thoughts were on that. Um, in, in terms of the audience, in terms of yeah. the audience walk away. Yeah. With? The audience reactions, yeah. because I remember there were people who were sitting next to me who were just clenching and I, and they were like, you know, visibly shaken and especially looking at men, you can tell that it triggers something. And it made me start thinking about, I didn't see it as them just being in the moment of the film. I think it triggered like a PTSD moment. Like I, they had that same kind of like shell shock about it. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, I felt like, yeah. Well, I felt like um, the most important thing what I wanted to do is really put the audience in Star's point of view, you know, how would she feel the night where she get pulled over, you know, as a police officer, you know, by the police officer. Um, and a lot of people, you know, having to talk, you hear these things, but never being able to experience. So, and some people, many people have been pulled over and have dealt with that. So you have the people, uh, audience, part of the audience who is familiar and knows, and now you've finally seen it. 
the truth and how it's really done and how racism plays within that. But then you have a part of the audience who don't know, who don't experience it. So putting it in her point of view, um, experiencing all these things in terms of what she sees with the police officer, what she sees in front of the television, being able to speak, and King telling her not to speak, all that is a dramatic roller coaster. Um, and what I wanted to do is really walk in her shoes and walk what it's like to be African-American in America, dealing with race, listening to friends who may say the wrong thing, listening to the threats, listening to and seeing the police brutality, seeing the anger, seeing the hurt. You know, a lot of people see this on television and would become sensitized to what we see, but we don't understand and feel um, so for an audience who don't know, I wanted them to be able to have empathy instead of sympathy and instead of, and then, and then also with the African-American audience or people of color to be able to see and be able to be able to show how we really feel, you know, um, all the anger and the frustration, what it's like to be someone of color, all those things were just emotional roller coaster for an audience, but it's emotional emotional roller coaster for us shooting. You know what I mean? It was a lot of emotion, a lot of anger and um it, it was just always something emotionally, but um at the same time at the same time it was very um just to come out of that and be able to use a voice was an amazing experience as an artist as well. Ah, oh, awesome. Um, and because of that, and these scenes again are extremely emotional, uh, working with the actors, I would imagine, I, I would imagine you had to have some way for them to cope with those moments. I, I can't imagine uh, Amanda in those scenes and then like, you just say cut and move on to the next thing. There has to be some way, or was there something on set that when you had those really powerful moments and I don't want to spoil it for anybody, but there are a couple. <laughs> but um, how did, what did you do on set yeah. to kind of get people to come down from those moments? Well, you know, I think one of the best thing was that we really became a family down there. And I think it's because of those two and a half weeks or two weeks of rehearsal that we have in spending time with one another, um, that we understood the material so much that we can be able to break in and break out. There are certain scenes like the shooting, the Khalil shooting, or like the actual final uprising uh, with the police officers. Um, those are scenes definitely it would be hard to get out of that during the day. And we shot those over multiple days. But what was very helpful was just having the experienced cast, you know, as well around the younger cast, um, just having Russell Hornsby and Regina, you know what I mean? Uh, Regina Hall was just amazing to have them there. Regina is very funny and they were really like parents throughout the, throughout the day and throughout the shoot that we can be able to break that and be a family, be able to talk, be able to eat together, be able to hang out. And then when it was time to go to work, we knew it was time to go to work. So that only can happen if you really love the people that you're working with and you really establish something special, a bond, you know, sometimes you do a film, you just in and out. Um, and then there's some films sometimes when you just really do establish a bond and you're there for each other emotionally and um and regina hall i really give her you know much respect of her craft but much respect of her her love and her humor and all the things that she brings she was very very helpful in and having that and being having that involved 
Okay, that's good to know. She's an amazing actress, and she's a really good person too. Um, yeah, I I was I was kind of curious um, about when you finished shooting and you saw the film for the first time. What was the scene that struck you the most? I really have to say it was two it was two moments. It was really uh, the party, you know, when she goes into the party for the first time and she meets Khalil, she sees Khalil and she hasn't seen him in a while. That was the first scene in the book. And that was the first scene immediately with, uh, uh, with Angie's dialogue and the inner thoughts of how the character spoke in the book. It just really spoke to me, you know, and I really felt that was the scene that really caught me very early on. And I really feel the spirit of the young individuals in, in high school and, and these youthful years and these innocent years and friendship and how that can get lost any second. That's the kind of world that we live in. And I just think that scene did it within um, within 15 minutes, 12 minutes of each other, just meeting, the party, having fun, and then your life can just change just like that. That's what it's really like today. And I felt like I was really happy when I saw that scene and how it came out. Um, and then there was a second scene that I felt and it was when Star is talking to Issa Rae's character, and um, Star actually tells her um, that she's afraid to go on television. She's afraid to speak, but she goes back in her past and says that she was quiet when her first friend was killed um, by a stray bullet. And um, she says she didn't say anything. And then she says the line, what kind of friend is that? And, and that's part of her transformation, the beginning of her transformation, that she could be able to admit this be able to admit the things that she did wrong in the past and then how she wants to be able to move forward. And it's a very simple scene, but it's a very human and it's very um, natural. And that's one of the things that we try to accomplish. If the audience feel like they're listening in on real people speaking, um, it felt like we did our jobs. And I was really happy with those two scenes at the first assembly cut that I saw in the editing room. Okay. So for people who don't know really how directors work, can let's let's if you don't mind, let's kind of peer in, inside of your your inner workings. So when you have a scene like that, when you're setting it up, how what what's what's going through your mind? What are you looking for? How do you create those crescendos or those kind of emotional moments? It's it's more than just the words and the actors. It's it's also how you position them. Can you kind of walk us through when, how do you create a scene like that? Yeah, I think the first thing is um, the most important thing is to really early on figure out what are you trying to say thematically? What is the film thematically saying? Um, this is a film about use your voice. Don't be afraid of who you are under, under any obstacles and any things or issues that you're facing. Don't let the truth waver. Um, so you keep that in mind, your theme. So each the theme is really implying what each scene is trying to say. And in what each scene is trying to say, you have to, as a director, find a behavior to get that across. And that's through blocking and that's through camera position. And that's through working and talking to actors and how these lines are delivered and how these beats are delivered with the actors, the other actors that, are, that is in the scene. So once that is all established, you try to find the best way to get that across. Again, that's about, you know, finding your truth and finding your truth and how to start finding the truth is about family. It's about being uh, the support 
the love. And sometimes it could be a difference. Um, so that's why that scene to me was staged around a dinner table, which is for me where a lot of decisions that was made with family, um, a lot of decisions was made in my life. Um, but the difference is there's no food, there's no drinks, there's no forks or silverware, there's nothing. All you have is just a family having a very tender time speaking. And that is completely different from what's going on outside, which is almost at the same time, based off the scene before, there's uh, you know, there's anger and there's frustration with the community where the police has to try to control the city outside. So outside, while that is happening, you have this very intimate moment with the family around the dinner table. Um, so all that is building blocks and towards the bigger point of view that you're trying to say. And um, that's how you have to think as a director in your process and how you communicate with your actors. Kind of similar to that, in a sense, we were talking about, you know, this movie deals with truths and understanding your, you know, understanding your voice. Code switching kind of is kind of a parallel to that, right? There's, you have to find your voice yeah. by being different people. And I was curious, you know, even at this stage in your career, um, do you catch yourself code switching and how do you cope with that when you're dealing with Hollywood and on both aspects of it? Yeah, I mean, that's something that's always been the case, you know, with us as people of color, African-Americans, is like code switching is something that's always there. I mean, like, um, that's what I love about the movie, cause this film, is because I feel like out of all the things I've done, this is one of the, one of the, you know, a couple other films I felt like all the decisions, you know, it was through a truth and honesty through my point of view and my and through my eyes with the help of collaboration of many, many people. Um, but I felt that, you know, in Hollywood, we was working as an African-American, especially coming in in 1997. Um, and, you know, as coming in is how do you make other people feel comfortable in terms of the budgets they give you, in terms of the stories that you want to tell? How do you have to compromise sometimes of the story to be more commercial or to be more universal? And and then how you speak it and how you hold your tongue is like, okay, I'm not going to say anything. Wait till you see it on screen. You know, there's no way they're going to understand this. So you're constantly maneuvering, um, you know, and trying to move ahead. Um, that is what it's like code switching. You still will find it. But now, um, just like from there, what the hate you give is like uh, it came around at a good time uh, when there was many other African-American filmmakers telling their stories the same way in the way they wanted to be told. There's a more opening for more stories like this and to be told in a very authentic way. Um, but you constantly, you know, when you're working in the industry or industry that's dominated, you know, by many people who are not African-American, who are not people of color, you're constantly dodging and maneuvering. Um, but this experience was the first time I feel like I'm telling it the way I want to tell it, you know? Yeah, so I appreciate your time, man. Thank you so much for this. Take care. That was writer, director, and producer George Tillman Jr. The Hate You Give is number three on AFCA's top 10 films of 2018. And I'm happy to note Russell Hornsby is our pick for Best Supporting Actor, and Amanda Steinberg is our Best Breakout Performance for their work in this film. So congratulations. 
But don't worry, Regina Hall also gets some love from AFCA too as Best Actress for her role in Support the Girls. You can find our complete list of winners and top films on our website at AFCA.com or visit us on our Facebook page. And that's our show. Thanks again to George Tillman Jr. for today's discussion. And we'd like to hear from you. Share your thoughts on the show on Twitter at TheAFCA or visit us on our Facebook page. And until then, keep your head up. <laughs>